The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. If you have your Bibles here, you can turn to Mark 8. That's where we'll be first this morning. Mark chapter 8. So this morning we have gathered together to remember the death of our Savior. Because we are not Roman Catholic, we do not believe that Jesus is re-crucified at the Mass every time it is performed. might sound strange to you, but that is the official belief of the Roman Catholic Church, that each time the priest blesses the elements, they turn into the body and the blood of Jesus, and that Jesus, in the process, is re-crucified for us. It's called transubstantiation. Because we are not Lutheran, we do not believe that Jesus unites himself with the bread and wine in some mystical or sacramental way called consubstantiation. We are, with most of the Protestant churches, we believe that this is a memorial service. This is a service that was given by Jesus for us to remember what happened. Now, there are some people that think this is a diminishment of what we're doing today. I would say it's not. This is not a small thing. This is a service that is of great value, of great importance. In fact, when we think about what Jesus left for the church, we realize that he only left two ordinances. Two. Of all the religious things he could have asked us to do, he said, I want you to do baptism. For those that are converted, for those that are saved, I want you to baptize them in my name and I want you on a regular basis to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Jesus, for good reason, did not give us an order of service. He did not give us the instruments we're supposed to use. He did not tell us exactly what church is supposed to look like every Sunday. I think that changes with culture. It changes with time. But he did give us these two things. So this, what we're doing today, is of great importance. Has anybody ever seen when they're shopping on Amazon the idea of the add-on items? So there are items that are either really great sales or they're not of great value. And so because they're good sales or not of great value, they'll say, we'll, we'll sell this to you and we'll ship it to you for free, but only if you buy something else with it, right? It's an add-on item. And I'm sorry to say, I think that many churches celebrate the Lord's Supper as an add-on item. Right? It's not of great enough value for us to all meet together just for this thing. So we'll tag it on, you know? In our church, we don't do that. We believe that this is one of the most important things that we do. If not the most important thing that we do as a church together is to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Because he told us to do it. He told us to make disciples. That is to preach the gospel, to baptize the converts, to teach them the, the doctrine that Jesus gave the apostles, and to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. This is what we do as a church. So for the rest of our time this morning, I want us to consider this question. Why did Jesus have to suffer? Why did Jesus suffer? Because the truth is, we know that the Savior suffered. He didn't just die. It wasn't just quick and painless. He wasn't just emotionally distraught. He suffered. In every way that a man can suffer, he suffered, and it lasted more than a minute. It lasted more than an hour. For the better part of a day, he suffered. 
he suffered at the hands of primarily two groups of people. One group hated him vehemently, passionately. The anger toward him burned inside of them. This was the Jewish leaders. He also suffered at the hands of a group of people who was trained, who were trained to inflict maximum pain on their victims prior to their slow and agonizing death. So, so it was the Jewish leadership who hated him and the Roman guards who were trained to kill in a way that was as painful as possible. Jesus repeatedly warned his disciples that this would happen. In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and of the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus made a point to tell his disciples that he would be suffering many things, including rejection, before he was killed. On this occasion, Peter interrupts and he says something to the, 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 what we would consider something like over my dead body, right? Peter is, be it far from me, Lord, it's not going to happen. As long as I'm here, it's, I'm not going to let that happen to you. And Jesus rebukes him. He calls him Satan. And then he says, you're savoring or you're caring about the things that are of man and not the things that are of God, which gives us a little bit of a hint toward what's going on here. He talks about his suffering, the fact that he needs to suffer. And then Peter says, no. And Jesus says, this is of God. His suffering and his rejection and his death. On another occasion, Luke chapter 17, verse 25, he was talking about the kingdom and his second coming, but he kind of interrupted midway through with this somber reminder. He said, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. So he wanted us to understand, he wanted the disciples to understand that suffering was a part of what he would go through. Jesus talked about it, but the suffering of Jesus is not a comfortable topic for us to talk about. It's not something that you just casually bring up at the dinner table or the water cooler. It's not something that makes us feel good. In fact, there was a movie that was made about the crucifixion 14 years ago. Can you believe that the Passion of the Christ was 14 years ago? It's a while ago. I can't believe it. And it was a movie that was about just the last 12 hours of Jesus' life. And I don't know what you think about the movie. I don't know if you've seen it or not. But what that movie attempted to do, and I didn't do it perfectly, but what it attempted to do is to demonstrate what a Roman crucifixion looked like. To walk through the the gospel accounts and say this is what would have happened to Jesus. And as we look at the world and we see the adjectives that the reviewers used to talk about this movie, they said things like it was grotesque, violent, extreme, torture-racked, excruciating, terrible, unfit, blood and guts, gratuitous gore, tormented torment, savage, and a primitive bloodbath. So when people looked at the movie, what they saw was this gratuitous gore. Do you know why? Because that was what a Roman crucifixion was. It wasn't this pretty cleaned up version, right? Jesus suffered. 
The truth is, it was grotesque. There are scenes in that movie that haunt you. I've seen the movie a couple times. First time, I really didn't know quite what to expect, and it hit me hard. The second time, I kind of knew what was going to happen, so I sat at the very back of the room, made sure everybody's in front of me, and I just, like, clenched my, my jaws the whole time because it's hard to watch. You know, the Romans did that on purpose. They made it as hard to watch as possible because they wanted the criminals to see what was happening and be terrified. They wanted the scenes to stick in their mind. This is what Jesus suffered. It is hard for us to think about the sufferings of Jesus, and yet, as we approach his word, and especially as we prepare our hearts for this service, to receive the Lord's Supper, we face the unavoidable, that Jesus did suffer. He suffered the pain of betrayal and of abandonment by his friends. That's a great pain, the disloyalty, those who are closest to you, leaving you, even selling you. He suffered the pain of false accusation by the Jewish Sanhedrin because they brought one after another who tried to condemn him for various crimes. He suffered the pain of rejection by the crowd. And remember, in the crowd are the same people that saw him perform miracles, that came to listen to his teaching and to be fed for free. These same people are shouting, crucify him, crucify him. He suffered the pain of humiliation by the Romans as they created the crown of thorns, as they gave him the the this scepter, scepter, what's it called? Scepter. Scepter to hold. And they put the purple garments around him. You know, what's, you know what it's like when someone makes fun of you, right? Just the feeling of knowing somebody's poked fun at you. Can you imagine a group of people that are, that are openly mocking you? Openly laughing at you? Giving you things and, and hitting you and, and just making a joke of you? And he endured that. He... It, Suffered the pain of exhaustion as he was forced to carry his instrument of death up the hill of Golgotha. And this is after the scourging. He suffered the pain of shame as he was hung naked on a cross for all to see. He suffered the physical pain of having his back beaten and then scourged and torn open by Straps of leather that had rocks and bones fastened to them that was designed to torture. It was designed to pull the skin apart to to show the nerves and then to beat them. He suffered the excruciating pain of having nails driven through the nerves in his hands and his feet to be secured to a cross and then dropped in a hole. And without a doubt as we think about the pain that Jesus suffered, the greatest pain of all is he suffered the wrath of God, the accumulated wrath of God upon all sin that had been committed and would be committed was poured upon his head. There's many theologians that believe that all of the physical suffering that Jesus endured was for the primary purpose of giving us a small glimpse into the spiritual suffering that he endured. We can't fathom what it was like for Jesus to be separated from his father, to have the wrath of the father poured on his head. And so the physical pain is just a tiny glimpse of the real suffering that Jesus endured that day. 
And so we come back to our question, why did Jesus suffer? And it's an interesting question because the death of Jesus was foreshadowed by many sacrifices, right? The whole sacrificial system was pointing forward to the final sacrifice that would come, Jesus. But all of those sacrifices weren't tormented type of sacrifices. They, they weren't instructed to take the animals and then to beat them for a while and then to pull out their hair and then to spit on them and, and to mock them and do all those things and then eventually to crucify them or kill them. No, it was actually a fairly humane death that the animals would endure. So all these sacrifices were fairly painless. The point was that a death was required in order to cover the sins. So why is it now that the, that the Lamb of God comes and yet he must suffer? Why is he suffering when they didn't? Well, I don't believe that Jesus suffered because it was required for God to forgive sin. Yeah, I think that, that the sacrificial system pointed forward to a sacrifice that would come and that Jesus' death, his perfect life, and then his death was enough to pay for sin. But the Bible does make it clear, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, that Jesus needed to suffer. And so why did he need to suffer? And I want to give you this morning one primary answer and then a few reasons for that answer. Okay, and so we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.10, of which salvation, and he's speaking about the salvation of our souls, he says, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. So you have to picture the prophets of the Old Testament searching diligently into the matter of the gospel, of the salvation of our souls. How is that going to happen? They want to know, and they're, so they're searching for this information diligently. But they were prophesying of grace that would come both to Jews and Gentiles. He says in verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So what he's saying here is that the Spirit of Christ was in the apostles, and the Spirit of Christ was testifying of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So, if we want to know about the suffering of Christ, we need to start back in the Old Testament where it was first prophesied about, where the Spirit of Christ first said, this Messiah, the Christ that would come, would suffer. Kind of interesting. Jesus is prophesying through them about his own suffering. Another thing that's interesting is that when we look at the prophecies of the Old Testament, there's an overwhelming number of them that deal with the suffering of Jesus. It's actually interesting that there's so many aspects of Jesus' life that they could have prophesied about, and yet so often we find them prophesying about his suffering. We find that his betrayal, even to the amount, is prophesied, that the disloyalty of disciples is prophesied, that the plucking of his beard is prophesied, spitting, being beaten with a rod, the scourging that he would endure, the piercing, the humiliation of being hung naked while surrounded by a bloodthirsty crowd, his face being unrecognizably beaten, being put to death as a criminal. I mean, all of that was talked about by the prophets. And so what were they all getting on about? Well, if we want to see 
the greatest passages about suffering of Jesus in the Old Testament, we'd look at Psalm 22 and then Isaiah 52 and 53. We don't have time this morning to do all those things, but I want to show you one verse in Isaiah 53. I think this gives us a little bit of a key to the answer to our question. Isaiah 53 verse 10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. What's interesting here is the first phrase. And I've read Psalm 53 many times. We've had it read in services many times. And it's always curious to me that it says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. What is that? Is that kind of a weird thing? Like Jesus, God is, is receiving some kind of pleasure from the beating of Jesus? And when I looked into that word, it doesn't mean pleasure like we think of pleasure. Like he, it wasn't like he enjoyed it. it. It was more along the lines that this was his plan. This was his design. This was his will. And so it was the will of God that Jesus would suffer the way he did. And when we ask the question, why did Jesus have to suffer? Our first and primary answer is, because God willed it. Just surprising, it's shocking, but God willed the suffering of Jesus. And ultimately, if we were to think about it, we would have to arise at this conclusion, right? Because if God is sovereign and he plans all things from the end to the be- from the beginning to the end that he knows when he creates the world everything's going to happen and that Jesus is crucified before the foundation of the world that he's been slain the bible tells us that then we have to recognize that this was a part of his plan and even in acts chapter 2 when peter is talking to the the sanhedrin and he's telling the the leaders about what happened he recognizes that though they did what was evil, it was predestined by God that it would happen. This was God's plan. It's God's will that Jesus was bruised. So, why is it God's will? And here is where I want to give you three reasons why I think it was God's will that Jesus suffered like he did. The first one is this. To demonstrate the wickedness of sin and the holiness of God. When we think about the suffering of Jesus, when we think about what he endured, we see very clearly the wickedness of sin and the holiness of God. The horror of the cross reflects the horror of our sin against a perfect and holy God. And in a world where sin is always taken lightly, right, it's never a big deal. People actually laugh at the idea that things are sinful just because God says they're sinful. And so in a world like this, we need to be reminded that sin is a big deal, that it is grotesque, that it is gruesome, that it's ugly, that it's serious. Right? I think the regularity and the commonality of sin, we must understand it does not make it any less evil or any more safe. God hates sin, and he hates it for a good reason. And every time we encounter sickness and sadness and pain and difficulty in this life, let's be reminded that the the root cause of all of those things is sin. God hates sin because he loves his creation. 
God hates sin because he loved Adam and Eve, because he loved all of his creatures, because he loved the world he created, because it was good, and then sin ruined that. And so God justly hates sin, and it is a big deal. And it's such a big deal that he willed his son be beaten and tortured so that we could get a picture of how gross it is, of how wicked it is. It also shows us how holy God is. He's so separate from that. He's so different from that. Sometimes we don't think sin is a big deal, and that's, that's because we're just so unholy. We're just so used to it. It's so commonplace, and it shouldn't be. God is very different. But even in this point, I think we also see the depravity of mankind, right? It's, it's not just the wickedness of sin, but it's the wickedness of man. Can you imagine if, if this was before Jesus had come, if you, it, or maybe you never heard the story, and I started telling you a story, and it was a true story, that there was a God who created all things, and he, and he was good, and he desired to bless his creation and to, to love them and to be in relationship with them, but they, they didn't want that. They, they wanted more. They wanted something else, and so they rebelled against him, and, and ultimately, we have the story of the fall. And then, I said, later on, God sent his son, and he came to the earth, And his son lived a perfect life. He never did anything wrong one time. And he went around the world, the the country, healing people. And being kind to people. Healing lepers. Giving the blind their sight. Even bringing people back to life. This is what he did. And, And all the while, he would teach the people. He would teach the people about love and about generosity, about faith and about the importance of of relationship with God. And as he did these things, many people would come hear him. And and when they did, do you know what happened? He'd give them free food. I mean, this is what Jesus was like. He was just the the picture-perfect human being who never sinned, who only did good, who was always kind. And do you know what those people did to him? And everybody would think they made him their king. They recognized his goodness and said, we want you to rule over us. And the answer is the exact opposite. They made him into a criminal. They conjured up false accusations against him. They put him in front of a crowd, convinced the crowd somehow that had seen the miracles and seen and convinced them to yell, crucify him. And then they they tortured and killed him in the worst way possible. This This is mankind. What happened then is just a picture of what mankind is like. We are sinful. We are messed up individuals. We're messed up people. And so what the cross, the suffering of Jesus serves to illustrate is that sin is wicked and that man is wicked and that a holy God will deal seriously with those sins. That's the first thing. Second thing that the cross illustrates is the depth of God's love for sinners. The depth of God's love for sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave. In Sunday school this morning, Justin talked about the gospel and how the God who is the creator, who is omnipotent, who is sovereign, willingly chose to give his son's life. Why did he do that? It's because of love. It's because of the depth of his love, the love that is unfathomable, the love that we can't begin to understand. It's, it's, it's measureless. 
But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus suffered in the place of sinners. He suffered in the place of those who were killing him. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This cross, the brutality of the cross, the sufferings of the cross, is an illustration of how much our God loves us. For Christ hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And you you think about that last part. The desire of Christ is to bring us once again to God, to reconcile us to God, to make enemies into sons and daughters. And the way that he did that was through his suffering. Suffering for sins, the just for the unjust. Isaiah 53, 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. The cross illustrates the love of the Father for sinful human beings. And so can I ask you this question? Do you know how you are loved by the Father? Do you understand how much the God of heaven loves you, each of you? Enough to send his son to die like that? To suffer like he did? When Jesus suffered on the cross, he wasn't suffering just to be some kind of example or a hero. Or he wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't about that. He came willingly. He put himself under that willingly. That was part of the whole plan. And it's to show us how much he loves us. That he loved us that much. And so he came and he suffered to show us the sinfulness of sin and the holiness of God, to show us how much a holy and righteous God loves sinful people. And finally, it was to identify with us in our suffering. You can imagine if Jesus had come and then he had just had a a completely painless death, that we being human beings would look at that, not considering the wrath of God still being poured on his head, and we would say, okay, well, that was nice. It's nice that he did that for us, but not that big a deal. When we look at the cross, we realize how much he really suffered for us. And so what the cross does is it helps us to identify, or him to identify with us in our suffering. Because now that he's saved us, now that we're his children, he calls us to live for him. And part of living for him means that at times we will suffer. Part of being a human being means that you'll suffer. And you'll never be able to point to your high priest and say, you don't get it. You can never look at Jesus and say, well, he has no idea what I'm going through. He suffered in every way that a human being can possibly suffer and in ways that human beings can't suffer. He suffered. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Our high priest is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows how we feel because he's been through it. And so no matter what we face, we can be sure our Savior understands his suffering is an example for us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, Peter writes, For even hereunto you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, 
leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. We are to identify with him in his suffering, and he identifies us with us in our suffering, and that happens through the cross. And so we look at this question, we think, okay, well, why is it that Jesus had to suffer? Why not just die quickly, painlessly? Why not just be the sacrifice and then go up to heaven? And we understand that it's through the shedding of blood there is the remission of sins, and so that, that needed to happen clearly. But why not an easier route? And I think our answer is found here. He suffered because we needed to understand how awful sin is, because God understands how awful sin is. Because that's just a small glimpse into how God feels about sin. He suffered because he wanted to show how deep his love for us is. And he suffered because when we go through suffering, we can look to him and know know that he's with us, know that he knows how we feel, that he identified himself with us. This morning we gather as a church family around the table prepared for the Lord. We are commanded by Jesus to remember his broken body, to remember the blood that was spilt to forgive our sins. And as we remember, we are to examine ourselves. And so I encourage you today that as we experience this service together, that you think about the suffering of Jesus and ask yourself the question, how is the suffering of Christ changing me? What impact does his suffering have on my life today? Because it ought to. The service is meant to be transformative. I want to conclude my part here by reciting the words of the hymn, Hallelujah, What a Savior. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim, hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood, hallelujah, what a Savior. Lifted up was he to die, it is finished was his cry, now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Let's pray.